Our reading today is from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8, which can be found on page 1004 in your Black Pew Bible. Please will you bow your heads and join me in a prayer for illumination. Dear Lord, we know that you are the creator and the sustainer of this world and of the heavens. We thank you, Lord, for your provision. We pray, Lord, that we will always appreciate these things, especially when it comes time to think of the new heaven and the new earth that you are creating. Please, Lord, bless Pastor Mike as he preaches today, and may we have receptive hearts, willing to hear and to learn. In your name we pray, amen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. I, your servant, will bring you God's word this morning, and Sylvia, your servant, will pass out copies of the manuscript in case you want one, get her attention as she passes by. Friends of Jesus Christ, the passage we just heard is actually the one that gave shape to this whole Easter season series of sermons that Jim and I are in the middle of. This is the passage where we hear Jesus say, Look, I am making all things new. This morning, I want to focus on the renewal of creation, the new heaven and the new earth and what that means. Now, every time someone who's been trained to do something does it, it's kind of a tribute to their teachers, and uh, this sermon will be in many ways a tribute to Cal DeWitt because um, just a few minutes ago we commissioned Cal as our elder for creation care, but I've learned a lot from Cal. A few years ago I sat in on Cal's course, Environmental Studies 126, here at the University of Wisconsin. I'm just curious, is there anyone else here who's taken that course? No? Too bad. Cal, you sh you're kind of giving it downstairs, I hope. But um, I learned so much in that course, and it would be really hard to reduce any course to a single 
sentence, but I think I could put in one sentence the most important thing I got out of that course. You're paying attention, Cal, aren't you? I learned to appreciate this earth as an integrated and regulated system in which humanity is the most significant and influential component. I'm not sure if that summary gets me an A or an F or something like a B, C, but Cal can tell me that later. What I want to do this morning, draw on some of my other teachers too, and help us see that those same things are true of the new creation. I want to help us look at Jesus making all things new and see that the new creation is an integrated and regulated system in which humanity is the most significant and influential component, except, of course, for God himself. So first of all, the new creation is an integrated system. Integrated means all the parts belong to the same whole and work together. When I say integrated, I mean that in a bit more than just the scientific sense, but I don't want to exclude the scientific or the physical sense either. But I mean that the new creation includes and integrates both the physical and the spiritual, the material and the moral. That also happens to be true of the old creation or this present creation, but in this present world, if we try to include and integrate the material and the moral, we might feel it's more proper to speak of disintegration than integration. We have a lot of problems in this present world. But let's start with a more positive idea, the integration of the physical and the spiritual, the material and the moral. The Bible does not speak about a renewal of the earth without speaking at the same time of a renewal of the heavens and vice versa. It doesn't speak of a renewal of heaven without speaking of a renewal of earth. Every time you find the phrase new earth, you also find the phrase new heaven. So we're talking about a renewal of the whole creation, not just part of the creation. And it might be helpful if we stop to think for just a moment about this question. Why does the creation need to be renewed? Well, one big problem is thermodynamics. A long time from now, admittedly, roughly 10 to the 103rd power years from now, this is way beyond when we've been there 10,000 years. That's a one with 103 zeros after it. I don't know if there's even a name for that. The universe will sort of run out of gas, to put it crudely. No one's really sure what that will all look like and will be long dead by then, but it will not be nice. As the scripture says, creation itself has been placed in bondage to decay. In hope, but Bondage to decay, that's Romans 8, 20 and 21. But that's not the only problem. There's another one. If we come a little closer to home, we'll see that there's another problem. The earth is not just held in bondage to decay, it's also held in bondage to sin. Sin is toxic. Sin has a toxic effect in at least two realms in two ways. First of all, in the realm of human relations, sin doesn't just affect the sinner, 
and my relationship with God when I sin, it also affects other people in large and small ways. Sin affects the whole system. I use that word on purpose of human affairs, the integrated systems that we're all part of. Sin ruins relationships, sin ruins families, sin ruins communities, sin ruins entire societies. But that's not all. The toxic effects of sin also spill over into the physical creation the non-human world. We're the only species with the capacity to ruin the entire ecosystem. And we not only have the capacity to do that, we clearly also have the disposition to do that. All our human systems are warped by our sinfulness, and this is actually destroying at a greater and greater rate the whole natural ecosystem that sustains life on this planet. The way we do agriculture, the way we do industry, economy, and government have created more problems than they've solved. We've made a bad bargain. We've bought short-term productivity and profitability for a few at the price of long-term sustainability or even survivability for all. Anyone who doesn't see this is in denial. The earth is choking in our waste. Our sin is making the creation suffer. John, the author of the book of Revelation, the bringer of this vision that God gave him, saw a new heaven and a new earth. And he saw a new human society, a new city, All of the passages that speak of a new heaven and a new earth also speak of restored righteousness and justice in the realm of human affairs with effects that ripple out positively to the whole creation. They speak of renewal in the vertical dimension between heaven and earth and in the horizontal dimension among humanity. My favorite picture of this in the Bible is in Psalm 85. Steadfast love, chesed, and faithfulness, emet, will meet. Righteousness, tzedakah, and peace, shalom, will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the heavens. And then the earth will bring forth its abundance. That's a picture of what I mean when I talk of the new creation as an integrated system. Harmony between heaven and earth and shalom-filled relations among human beings and with the rest of creation. That's God's vision. That's God's plan. We also need to understand the creation as a regulated system. The fact that a system is regulated doesn't necessarily mean that it's wholesome. If you turn the thermostat up in your house to 90 degrees and beyond, it's still a regulated system, but you won't be comfortable in that system. Well, maybe some of you would, but most of you wouldn't. 
A regulated system requires the most important regulators to function properly and to be calibrated properly for the conditions you want to maintain. In our ecosystem, the atmosphere is a very important regulator. But if we increase the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, then the atmosphere is recalibrated. It keeps more heat from leaking out into space, and that in turn affects other things in the system, and pretty soon we won't be comfortable, and a lot of things start to go wrong. Health is a delicate balance, or optimal conditions are a delicate balance in any system, both in a large system like the whole biosphere or a small system like the human body. If one thing starts or stops working properly, it can affect many other things in the system, and then it can toxify or ruin the whole system. Health Optimal functioning is also a delicate balance in a moral sense and in a spiritual sense. And it's possible to tip the balance one way or the other. When we behave wickedly, that tends to produce misery. When we behave righteously, that tends to produce shalom. There is a moral structure to the universe, built right into the universe. The commandments about things like murder and adultery and truthfulness are not just random restrictions that God decided to impose on the human race. God knows how the universe is ordered. God knows that when we don't respect human life and human covenants and the integrity of human communications that affects everyone and everything involved and it breaks down the health of our whole society. In that sense, the law isn't really just prescriptive, thou shalt, it's descriptive. This is how it works. When we do right, we flourish. When we do wrong, we perish. We do harm to ourselves and the whole creation. The renewal of creation, the new heaven, and the new earth means that the regulatory harmony of creation is restored on all levels, in all dimensions. The new creation is a place where sin's dominion over us and its effects on creation are broken. There is no more death. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things, the old ways, the broken ways have passed away. And you may have noticed that our passage this morning ended on a fairly grim note. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, which is the second death. But I would put it like this. The ultimate regulatory force in the whole integrated realm of creation is God's judgment, which, to use one of the Bible's images, sends fire upon the earth to purify it. Cal and I were talking last week at the Firefly Cafe in Oregon, and he reminded me about two things, about how prairie fires purify the ecosystem of the prairie. But then he pointed to what happens in the book of Revelation when the seventh angel blows his trumpet. There's a voice that calls out, 
And it says this. It's the 24 elders singing to God. The time has come for the dead to be judged, for rewarding God's servants, the prophets and saints and all who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. That is, in a sense, a divine recalibration of the created order. That is an ultimate act of restoring the regulation of the creation. The last point I want to make is that human beings occupy the most strategic place in this integrated, regulated system. Not just now, but in the world to come. And not just in the world to come, but now. We are the bridge between the physical and the spiritual. We are the most important regulator in the whole system. I said earlier, we're the only species with the power to destroy the whole system. But God's vision for us, God's positive vision for us, is that we will be the keepers and the regulators, the health bringers in this system. God is always thinking teleologically. He had something in mind when he created us. God always has some good end in mind for the things he does and the things that he creates, most of all for us. So this is another thing that I've actually learned and deepened in my understanding of from Cal. When God created humanity, God put us on the earth for a reason. God made a garden and he put human beings in the garden. Why? What's God's teleological end here? To till it and to keep it, as the NRSV says, or if you know the NIV, to work it and take care of it. But those are two really powerful verbs in Hebrew, abad and shamar. Abad means to serve. Sometimes it even means to worship. Let my people go that they may worship me. And shamar means to watch over something carefully. If you look for those ideas in the book of Revelation, I think you'll find them in chapter 5, in the new song that all heaven sings to Jesus Christ. And here's an excerpt from it, the song of praise to Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you, here's the telos, the end, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on the earth. It's not any kind of a stretch to say that one of the verbs you would associate with a king is shamar, and one of the verbs you would associate with a priest is abad, proper kings and queens take care of God's creation. Proper priests serve in God's presence. I think this morning's passage shows us the consummation of that in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. I don't like that translation. It's literally with human beings. The point isn't our mortality, it's our humanity. It's metaton anthropon in Greek. God will dwell with his image bearers and be their God, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. With them. There's our future and a renewed creation, which is our eternal calling. Where does that 
leave us for right now? How can we live into that calling as we join the whole creation and groaning for release from our bondage to sin and, and, and decay, from entropy and the miseries of sin? People always want to know, what can I do about this? I don't have great ideas, but I have some. For one thing, we can pray. That seems so obvious, right? Oh, Sunday school answer, children's sermon answer, pray. But it's often the obvious thing that we overlook or that we underappreciate the importance of. And, and it, this is a little bit of an alarm bell, maybe a, a regulatory alarm bell here in our church community. I've watched our commitment to prayer sort of decline over the last few years. It used to be one of the great strengths of Geneva, and I'd like to see it become a strength of Geneva again. And Jim and I have some ideas about that. Uh, one of them is that Jim's going to try to start up a prayer team pretty soon. So listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're going to be part of that. But prayer is, if you read the book of Revelation or if you read the Psalms, you'll, you'll be impressed with how much prayer is lifted up to God in longing for the final renewal of the creation. How long, O Lord, will it be? You'll hear that in Revelation. You'll hear it in the Psalms. How long until you finish what you've begun? Come and renew the earth. Come and renew us. The single most important thing we can do is pray. Almost the very last words in the book of Revelation are words of prayer. Prayed. You've got to hear this. Prayed together by the church and by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the bride say, come. That's a cry of deep, deep longing. Well, for some reason, we never seem to feel that praying is enough. And maybe it's not enough. We were certainly created to pray, but we were also created for doing. I think the verbs Abad and Shamar still apply. Our calling, not just forever, but also right now, is to serve God and care for the earth. And we need to take that calling more seriously than we do. We need to stop thinking collectively as a human race and what, in whatever ways we live it out in our own lives that we can do whatever we like with the earth, especially because, after all, God's going to renew the earth someday. Disposable earth? I don't think that's what the Bible really teaches. We believe that one day God will renew and resurrect these bodies in which we are now living. Yet in my flesh I will see God. We don't think that gives us the right to abuse our bodies, do we? Why then are we relatively indifferent to the abuse of creation? We are and always will be called to care for creation from our special and unique place in it as God's servants, Obedim, Abad, and creation's caretakers, Shomarim, Shamar. We need to show the creation a lot more respect than we do. The large and small economies that we design aim at constant activity, 24-7, 365. 
The economy that God envisions calls for people to rest one day out of every seven, not just you, but your animals and your servants, etc. We try to wring the maximum productivity and profit from every single process. God tells people not to reap to the corners of their fields and to let the land rest one year out of every seven so that it may have Sabbath. Sabbath is more than a day off. It's a set of rhythms designed to respect the limitations of creatures and preserve some margins, some healthy regulatory margins in the created order. Creation was designed, think about it, so that we could work when the sun is up and rest when the sun is down. We invented electric lights. Creation was designed so that we could work more when the days are longer and sleep more when the nights are longer. We completely ignore those rhythms of the created order and the healthy, regulated life that God invites us into. We are so busy getting from one place to another that we spend most of our life under roofs, and in our cars so that we don't even go for walks and breathe the air and feel the sun and smell the smells of the earth. When's the last time you actually went for a walk? So if we want to care for creation, one place to start might be taking better care of ourselves. And I don't mean that in a self-indulgent, self-care way. I mean that in a responsible and priestly way. We ought to respect the margins of our own lives. We aren't actually very good at that. We schedule too many of our moments and reap to the corners of too many of our fields. Sometimes we even make church a chore which I think we actually need to look into. A church can try to do too many things too. And this is a place where I have a lot more questions than answers. And I don't practice very well what I preach. But I think this is a key to our shalom. Here's the thing. If we do find ways to respect the margins of our own lives and of the creation, that does at least two really wonderful things. First, it creates more space for God to enter our lives. Our busyness kind of fences God out, or at least it closes off our attentiveness to God. So opening up space in our life makes more room for God's grace to operate in our lives. Second, that will also create space for us to enter other people's lives. It will build community and orient the community and all its members better towards God as the center of our community. It will move us into a better position to function as the principal regulators in this marvelous created system that God has gifted us with. If we live in the right way, it's almost this simple. According to God's wisdom, the wisdom that is built into the very structure of creation, then we will be creators of shalom. You want another way to say that? A more New Testament way to say it? We will be peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are peacemakers. In Greek, ereno poioi. If you put it in Hebrew, it would be something like ose shalom, makers of shalom. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they 
will be called the children of God. Or to use the words of this morning's passage, to those who conquer, or those who conquer will inherit these things, the new heaven and the new earth. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.